Good morning, I'm Thad Lanthrop, the administrative pastor here at Church in the Valley, and today we're starting a new message series. We're, we're starting a message series called Stories of Grace, and so as we get started here, I want, I want everybody just to kind of think through, what, what is one of your favorite stories? Um, it, it might be a book, it might be a movie, or, or a play. For, for me, one of my favorite stories is we, uh, a movie, We Were Soldiers. And in it, there's a, there's a man who, who leads, um, leads some, some troops into battle. His name's Hal Moore. And just his, his example of leadership throughout the, the movie, really, it really connects with me. Um, one, one of the, the stories that my wife really loves is Harry Potter. And, you know, in Harry Potter, there's a very strong um, theme of, of good versus evil in there. My oldest son, Blake, who, who's two, one of his favorite stories is Cars. And it's pretty obvious, he's two, he likes cars, so that's why he likes it. But my, my wife and I like him to watch it because there's some good, <clears throat> there's some good um, themes of just friendship and working together as a team in there. But all of our, our favorite stories, they capture our attention for different reasons. Maybe there's, there's some relationships that we can relate to in the story or maybe one of the, the characters, you know, we just identify with that character. Or maybe we just need a laugh and it's a funny movie and it helps us to just kind of recover. Um, but this week, we're, we're going to be, um, in this message series, we're going to be looking at stories that we can all relate to and identify with. God intends for these stories to reveal his character in ways to us so that we can better relate to him, um, better understand ourselves, and that we can just live life to the full. These stories of grace show people experiencing mercy instead of justice, blessing in, in the place of punishment, and kindness when you might only expect retribution. <clears throat> this week, we're going to look at God's grace through the story of creation. Um, in, the, in the following weeks, we're going to look at the story of Judah, which was a crooked man who found grace after he had sold his brother into slavery, um, among other things. We're also going to look at the story of David, a king who finds grace from God after committing adultery and then killing the woman's husband to hide it. And then we're also going to look at the story of Jesus' birth. Um, like Joel was mentioning on December 22nd, our family Christmas um, service. We're going to look at the story of, of Jesus' birth, beyond all gifts. And that's really the ultimate gift of grace from God. God reveals his grace from the time of creation. Genesis 1 through 3, 3 um, talks about this. And that's we're just going to work our way through Genesis 1 through 3 today. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in, in creation, we can see God's fingerprint that clues us into his existence and his gracious character. The, the Bible goes on to, to explain um, just the, how the creation story went. Um, and on the first day in Genesis 1, 3 through 5, um, God spoke light into existence. He called light day and he called darkness night. 
On day two, God created the earth's atmosphere. Genesis 1, 6 through 8. On day three, God made the land and seas among, <clears throat> along with plants and trees. Genesis 1, 9 through 13. Um, on day four, God called the sun, moon, and stars into existence. And the, these would mark the seasons and the days and the years. On day five, God created sea creatures, fish, and birds. <clears throat> and then on day six, six <clears throat> God made all sorts of animals, small, large, and wild. God's creation is meant to point people to him. Um, this week, there, there was a, an article on time.com, um, and it was titled, Why There Are No Atheists at the Grand Canyon. Um, and it, it was a really interesting article. Um, what happened was a, a professor from Claremont McKenna College and a professor from the University of Southern California got together. They did five studies together. And in these studies, what they would do is they would show people just some normal news clips like you're watching on the evening news. And then they, they would show them um, clips from BBC's Planet Earth just some really awe-inspiring clips. And what they found was that through the, the people who saw the awe-inspiring clips, their, their goal was to see, um, let me find their goal real quick. Their goal in the studies were to see how eliciting feelings of awe affected their sense of spirituality. And they, they, would, they asked these follow-up questions. And as they asked the follow-up questions, the people who just saw the news clips were way less, their sense of spirituality was way less. And the people who saw the clips of the planet Earth were far more inclined to think that there was a creator behind all these things. And the, the professor from Claremont McKenna College, Pierre Carlo Valdesolo, um, said, awe makes people want to see events as the result of design. These professors are, are finding out what, what the Bible already tells us. Through creation, we see God's fingerprint that clues us into his existence and his gracious character. Also on day six, continuing with our, our story of, of creation, God made human beings. And we're going to read a, a long passage here um, that, that shows just how much care God, God took into that and what, and what he did there. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Continuing on in verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of, <clears throat> face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, I have given <clears throat> you shall you shall have them for food, 
and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the... Okay, I'm getting lost here in the, in the reading, but <laughs> verse, let's skip down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so in, in reading this, this account of creation, you get this overwhelming sense that people are the crown of God's creation on earth. This is confirmed in, in other parts of the, of the Bible as well. The earth was made by a gracious, loving God. And it was made by a gracious, loving God in a way that makes human life possible. In verse 31, you, you get the sense that God was delighted by this, and he wanted us to, lie, to delight in his provision as well. God has a heart to bless those that he has created, and, and he created all of this for our enjoyment. It's, it's easy to miss the grace of God in his creation. We're, we're born here, and... You know, we just kind of wake up here, and we, we have all the resources that we need. We're, we're, we're living. Uh, <clears throat> we, we take it for granted because we're just, we're just here. But God puts something in our heart that keeps whispering that there's more to life on earth. What, what's interesting is that scientists are, are now finding out that the earth is unique. Um, it, it's really a privileged planet that we live in, unlike any other that has been discovered. Take a look at, at this video clip um, from The Case for Creator. It, 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 what it does, this Case for Creator movie series, there's a book that goes with it too, but it chronicles the, the journey um, that Lee Strobel took, an atheist, um, and he, he found faith in, in Christ, in God as a creator. But it shows the, the care, this video clip shows the care taken to make sure that life could exist on our planet. Noble's journey through a universe finely tuned for life inevitably led him home to the blue jewel of our solar system, the planet Earth. There he encountered another array of critically balanced conditions essential to human existence. When I was an atheist, I saw planet Earth as being one of probably billions of planets just like it all over the universe. I saw our sun as being an average, undistinguished type of a sun. I figured as I looked up at the stars at night that there must be millions and millions of advanced civilizations out there. I just thought there was an ordinariness to our situation. This line of reasoning was totally consistent with my atheistic worldview. But what I learned later is that it's not consistent with what science is revealing about the Earth. Strobel's investigation caused him to consider the many conditions necessary for a life-sustaining planet. In the process, he was introduced to the science of astrobiology and astronomer Guillermo Gonzalez. I'm an astrobiologist and what motivates me is just to examine the conditions necessary for life and look elsewhere in the universe and see if those conditions are met anywhere else. And the answer could be yes, and the answer could be no, and either answer is interesting. For more than a decade, Guillermo Gonzalez has researched the characteristics of a planet required to support complex life. Estimates vary, but a current list of these factors would number at least 20, 
and include an oxygen-rich atmosphere, liquid water and large continental land masses, a home star of the right temperature and mass, an orbital path that is neither too far nor too close to the home star, a moon large enough to stabilize the tilt of the planet's axis and the movement of its tides, a magnetic field strong enough to deflect the sun's radiation, and a position in the relatively narrow habitable region of a spiral galaxy. All these factors have to be met at one place and time in the galaxy if you're going to have a planet as habitable as the Earth, which you need for complex and even technological life. Theorists have attempted to calculate the odds of all the necessary factors for life appearing at the same time on the same planet. A conservative estimate is one chance in 10 to the negative 15th, or one one-thousandth of one one-trillionth. On those terms, even when compared to the billions of suns and possible planets in our Milky Way galaxy, the probability of even a single habitable world appears unlikely. There are many probabilistic resources in the galaxy, but on the other side of the coin are all these factors that you need. You have to get just right in order to have just one habitable planet like the Earth. And that leads me to conclude that, yes, we're rare in the galaxy. So you can see God made the world in a way that we can exist. Um, we take it for granted because we wake up here and all these, these factors we don't even think about. But the sense you gain from, from the account of creation in Genesis is that God loves us humans. And He wants good for us. He created a universe, a galaxy, solar system, <clears throat> so that life could exist. And He also created it so that we could discover Him. Check out this, this next video clip from the same movie series. Gonzalez's study of the Earth's habitability led him and colleague Jay Richards to expand the scope of their research. They began to examine how a life-sustaining planet like Earth may also give its human inhabitants access to the mysteries of the universe. I don't think there has ever been a time in the history of the human race in which at least some people haven't contemplated these questions. We ask, why can we see distant galaxies millions of light years away in the universe? Why can we postulate what's going on inside atoms or inside black holes? Why are we able to discover things about the universe, to answer questions about its age? For most scientific discoveries that we're able to make, these sorts of things can't be explained in terms of the survival of the fittest of our distant ancestors. Not only our ability to do science, uh, but the openness of the natural world to science just completely outstrips the sort of reductionist and Darwinian explanations that we're used to. In response to this evidence, Richards and Gonzalez have argued that our ability to make scientific discoveries is no fluke or accident. Instead, it points to an underlying purpose behind the universe. It is actually designed for discovery. 
Guillermo Gonzalez and I spent several years pursuing a hypothesis that those rare things that life needs in a planetary environment, those things that make a planet habitable, also set up the best set of conditions overall for scientific discovery. There are many examples of this correlation, including our planet's oxygen-rich atmosphere, both a critical requirement for our survival and a transparent window that allows us to explore the distant universe. The Earth's precise distance from the Sun and the size of its moon and home star. These factors not only control our planet's temperature, axial tilt, and the movement of its tides, they also ensure perfect solar eclipses, phenomena that have provided scientists with invaluable data about the composition of stars and the properties of light. And our location in the Milky Way. The Earth is positioned between two spiral arms within a relatively small region where life is possible. As a result, we enjoy an excellent platform for clear, unimpeded views of our galaxy and the rest of the cosmos. I think God intentionally created a habitat for us that allows us to see him through the creation that he has left behind. And this habitat is conducive for us to do scientific research. It didn't have to be that way, but it is. Why? Because I believe that by doing science, we find God. And so you see, God, he created a planet that, that life could exist on, but he also created a planet where we can discover things. We can see the, how an atom works, and we can um, see what a black hole is and, and what, how it operates. <clears throat> and he made it so that, so that these discoveries, as we search for them, we can find him. God, he also gave us a planet to manage. Um, Genesis 1.28 talks about this. There's a great deal of, of purpose um, and significance for us in this. We learn, more, <clears throat> we learn more of God's love and grace in Genesis 2, where it, it tells us that, that God, he planted a, a garden named Eden for the first man and woman to live in and, and care for. It describes how it, it was watered and, and the beauty that could be found in it. In, <clears throat> in Genesis 2, um, there, there's also a description of God's intention for creating male and female. He said it, it was not good for man to be alone. And so he created a companion or helper um, just right for him. This is more evidence of the grace of God. He, he wanted us to experience the joy of relationships. <clears throat> Genesis 2.25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So all that's going on in Genesis 1 and, and 2, is going, it's going well. Everything's going good. And then in Genesis 3, the, the story takes a, a horrible turn. God made us with the freedom to obey um, or rebel against him. He, he did this because this is the only way that we could return his love in a genuine way. Being forced to obey is not real love. I don't know if you guys have ever been forced to do something 
Um, but, you know, I, I remember growing up being forced to vacuum. I, I hated vacuum cleaning. And whenever I was forced to vacuum, I would just be just, just jamming the thing against the wall, chipping paint everywhere. That wasn't really, I wasn't doing anything out of love there. Um, it was just because I was, I was forced to do it. Um, but God, he, he wants us to, to have that relationship with him in, in a genuine way. And so he, he um, allows us the freedom to obey or rebel so that we can have that relationship with him. Genesis 2 um, also explains that there's a, a tree whose fruit was forbidden to eat. Um, the first couple, they were enticed to eat that fruit. And um, it's said to be an apple, but in the scriptures it doesn't really say what, what fruit it was. But they were enticed to eat that fruit by our enemy Satan. <clears throat> and when they ate that fruit, it severed their relationship with God. They, they had walked and talked freely with him to this point, but not anymore. After their rebellion, the man and woman ran from God and hid themselves from his presence. Previously, they were unashamed, um, but now they were ashamed. Genesis 3.10 says, And he said, I heard the, the sound of you in the garden, I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And in God's response to the rebellion of Adam and Eve, once again, we see the grace of God taking center stage. In tempting us and succeeding, Satan gained power in our world. Um, God, God has made us, God had made us the managers, and rebel, we rebelled against him. And so to rede redeem and restore us <clears throat> and our world, God promises to conquer Satan, who has become a very personal enemy to us. Genesis 3.15 is this promise. He's, this is God speaking to our enemy. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so what God is, is saying here is that the offspring of a woman will defeat the enemy who brought death into the world. This was the first prophecy that a savior would, would be born and would defeat the, the enemy of death. <clears throat> Christ would deal a fatal blow to the enemy's head, while the enemy would only be able to bruise his heel. Um, and that fatal blow would be the crucifix crucifixion, which brought the, the resurrection that would deal that, that fatal blow to the enemy. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so in this moment of, of time, God could have, he could have just wiped out the first man and woman, just started over. But instead, he chose to graciously provide a way to redemption. He covered our shame. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God covered our shame. He also gave us some, some consequences. Um, we rebelled, and, and God gave us some consequences. But in those consequences God, that God gave us for rebellion, we can see God surprises us 
with an unexpected display of grace. When a child disobeys, parents can do a, there's a few different options that, that you have. You can attempt to completely control the situation and, and make it so that, that, that they can't um, do, they can only do what is, right, what is right or what you want them to do. You can remove their privileges as punishment, um, or you, you can create consequences out of love that could lead them to the right way of thinking and living. And in, in God's grace, he, he gives us these consequences so that we experience his grace in our pain. God brings the consequences in the form of a curse for the woman and the man, each for, for their part in the rebellion. Um, the curse for the woman is related to, to childbearing um, and then also her relationship with her husband. Genesis 3.16 says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then the curse for the man was related to his work. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so the very things that God had, had given us um, <clears throat> for delight and fulfillment, the marriage relationship and the responsibility um, that he gave us to care for the world, those things are now going to yield frustration for us. Hebrews is, is a book in the New Testament that looks back at the Old Testament, and it gives us a lens to help us to see God's work more clearly. Um, <clears throat> this passage that we're going to look at um, helps us to see the, the reasons for the consequences that, that God has given us. Um, they're the same as the discipline of a loving father. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so God, he wants these frustrations. He wants them <clears throat> to lead us to the, the answer in him. He's the only one that has the answer. And so pain entered our world through, through rebellion and brought shame. Jesus died on the, the cross to cover our shame. And the consequences in the curse are given to draw us back to the ultimate answer in Christ. Because God is gracious, he uses the pain to, to help us. There's an intersection that, that we come to um, when we are dealing with pain and, and painful consequences. We have a couple options. We can either resent God for allowing it um, and miss his grace, or we can choose gratitude. Um, the, the decision, it, it takes place really deep down in, inside of us. Um, <clears throat> and it really dramatically affects our, our life story. Um, if we resent God for allowing the, the pain and we run from him um, to try to dull the, plane, dull the pain with our own efforts, the life that flows from that is, is just less than God has for us. But if we, if we choose gratitude and we... we turn to God in this gratitude, we realize that what he wants is really best for us, then we learn to appreciate the pain that, that God uses to grow us and train us <clears throat> to, 
to be the kind of people that he's made us to be. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is how it is with, with a boss or a parent. We can accept the discipline that we get, or we can reject it. And this is, is what determines whether it's useful for us, whether the pain is useful for us. When, when God disciplines through circumstances we experience in life, he, he is showing his love to us. He's showing love in it. But if we learn to, to trust him and soften our heart toward his discipline, we go down a path of joy. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So in the consequences to the rebellion of the first man and woman, which we, we have all validated with, with our own lives, um, we see the grace of God. You know, if, if you're frustrated in, in a relationship right now, God wants you to turn to him and, and ask for help. <clears throat> if maybe you're beside yourself with, with the problem that you're having at work, go to God. He cares and, and he wants to help. God is hoping that our struggle leads us back to him. The right response to God's grace is gratitude. For he, he created the world that makes life possible, and, and he wants us to enjoy it. And he created the consequences so that it would lead us back to him. I'd like to, to wrap up the message um, today by asking you to think through a couple of next steps. Um, please take out that connection card that's in, in your program. Um, in a moment, we're, we're going to receive our, our offering. Um, please take any time to, f to finish out any information on, on that connection card. Um, <clears throat> or if you want to mark the, the next steps that I'm suggesting um, here. When the offering ushers come around, you can go ahead and, and drop that connection card in, in the baskets. Here's a, a couple of next steps that, that you might want to take in response to the message today. <clears throat> My next step today is to choose gratitude toward God by giving thanks every day this week, all day. So your next step is no matter what situation happens, no matter what comes up, I'm, I'm going to give gratitude to God. Or maybe my, my next step today is for the first time, I will trust Jesus as my Savior and follow Him as Lord. When you take that, that step of, of following Jesus as your Lord, that's the, the first step in giving you power to choose gratitude when these hard situations come up, these painful circumstances. <clears throat> Would you go ahead and pray with me as we continue to worship? Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your grace in creation. Uh, we thank you for the, the delight that you have given us in it and that it does point us to you. We just pray that um, whatever situation or circumstance comes up this week, help us to turn towards gratitude towards you, Lord, and just to experience your grace through it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.